You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I am here. Aaron is here. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call more on Window Nation a little bit later on. Uh, Tomorrow is July 4th. We won't be here tomorrow. Chris Cooley is scheduled to call in uh, shortly and will do much of the show with me today. Um, I I did want to start real quickly with the fact that I did watch much of the second half of the World Cup game yesterday. Uh, Here was the comment (laughs) that my middle son made to me as he was home as well and decided to tune in and watch the game with me or some of it. He said, you know what, to be honest with you, I can't tell the difference between women's soccer and men's soccer. I'm watching this game. It looks just like a men's soccer game. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, it doesn't look that much different. Now, you could say that watching a basketball game from afar without a lot of knowledge of the game, that the way the game is played looks similarly, but that's not really what he was referring to. He was talking about the speed of the game, the athleticism of the game, the skill of the game, and it didn't look that much different to me. Now, I know that someone who is a soccer person will tell me what I know about basketball and what I know about tennis and and other sports, and that is that they're not even comparable. That there's, you know, the best female player in the world wouldn't be able to be the last player on an MLS team. You know, that's probably what I would hear from somebody. I don't know that to be a fact. I'm just guessing. But when you're watching that game, the skill level's high, the speed, you know, it's the same sort of thing in soccer, right? When you're watching a soccer game and you're like me, you don't really understand the beautiful part of the game. And they're just kicking it around and they're kicking it backwards half the time. And sometimes they go on the attack and then they turn around and they send it back to midfield. And you're like, damn, you're getting close to the the net. You're getting close to potentially scoring and having some action here. I mean, I really, I mean, the people that say that it's a beautiful game and it's continuous, of course it's continuous because the clock keeps running. But the action isn't continuous. The action is intermittent. The action for much of it is you're just passing it back and forth and going backwards probably 40% of the time, it seems like, rather than on the attack. And I do, I'm not trying to to, to make fun of it, really, intentionally, but it's what I see. I do know that there's some strategy involved, and I do know that sometimes when they're on the attack and they don't have something and then they turn around and they go backwards, sometimes all the way back to their own net back to their own goaltender to start over again, that they are running sets or running set pieces, as it's called, I believe, in soccer. I think that's more on the corner kick stuff. But anyway, I'm watching this game yesterday. It's the first one that I've really watched in the World Cup, and my my son's there. And I found the skill level and the speed of the game and the you know, the relative excitement of the game to be equal to a men's World Cup game. And I've watched a lot of men's World Cup games over the years. I enjoy that event. I do. Even though I don't really understand the game and the strategy of the game, you can figure it out, some of it, um, as you're watching it. And you can certainly see how on corner kicks in particular, they run set plays. Um, But I thought the skill level and the athleticism and I thought it was really, really fun to watch. And man, that Alex Morgan is gorgeous, isn't she? And that header and that little sipping of the tea 
with the pinky finger up was awesome. I like her a lot. She's definitely one of the reasons to watch the Women's World Cup team. Uh, So they're in the finals now, and is that on Saturday? That's on Sunday. Sunday? Sunday. Now, where will that game be played? In Paris, I'm assuming? Somewhere, yeah, somewhere in France, I assume Paris. Because yesterday was in Lyon. Right. I don't know where today's semifinal is. Today is the Dutch, the Netherlands against Sweden. Yes. And the Dutch, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're the orange. You know, yes. they're the team with all the orange. Everybody's dressed in orange. The uniforms are orange. And, you know, their men's team has had tremendous success over the years. Although I do believe I could be wrong about this. Look this up for me. I think they missed the last World Cup. I think the Dutch actually did not qualify. The Italians didn't qualify for last year's World Cup. And I don't think the Dutch did either. Like, those were the two shockers. The Netherlands and the Italians were not in last year's World Cup. And what was interesting is I was actually on a trip last summer. It was a family trip for my father's 80th birthday. And we were in Italy last summer for about 10 days. And the World Cup was going on. And, you know, every cafe, everybody's watching it. But Italy wasn't even in it. Um, But you would have, you know, if Brazil were playing, you'd have this, you'd walk by this place and there would be a bunch of people in Brazilian uniforms and, in the Brazil uniforms. But am I right that the Netherlands... You, you are correct, yes. They, they didn't qualify last year. Yes. Um, but the women play Sweden. I don't know who's favored in that game. I know Sweden is the team that the U.S. beat in their in the early rounds, the round-robin play, whatever they call it, um, group play, I think it's called. Yes. And they had... It was a revenge game because Sweden had beaten them the last time they played them. So maybe it's Sweden that would provide the toughest test. I don't know. But I will watch. I think Netherlands are the favorites. I will watch Sunday. I'll watch the World Cup final. Um, I, I found it to be exciting. And I, I the one thing that I would say is the offsides call, you know, that was overturned on replay, or the non-call that was then overturned and called offsides on the game-time goal, I thought that was bullshit. I, I mean, you're talking about, a, it was like an inch of offsides. Like, to me... I think they should abolish the offside rule. I think soccer would be a hell of a lot more exciting and would be a, a lot higher scoring if you could, you know, if you could cherry pick, you know, like in basketball, you, you, the ball goes up and you're already running down the other end of the court looking for the outlet. I think that would make it a lot more fun. I won't say what I've said before, which is I think they should abolish um, and eliminate the hands rule, and you should be able to use your hands. That's silly, and I was uh, it's tongue-placed firmly in cheek when I've said that before, but I think the offsides rule should be a little bit more relaxed. It, it has to be almost perfection, and now with replay, it's like the time, I don't know, that, that to me looked like a goal. That look, looked like a goal. I do have a question for you, because I don't know the answer to this. If they had gone 2-2, they would have played in overtime, right? But it's not sudden death. Am I correct about that? That they play like a full overtime and it's not sudden death. It's just a, I don't know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes of overtime. And then if it's not decided, they play another overtime. Do they have a shootout in the World Cup in the uh, knockout round? Uh, yes, it's it, two, two 15-minute periods of extra time, and it would play the full 15-minute peri- period. So it's the same as the men's. Okay, so two 15-minute, and, and then you then go to a shootout? Sh- correct. Got it. I don't think, I, this shootout to me is gimmicky. I love the shootout. I think they should just it's, keep playing. It's gimmicky, but it's so exciting. I love it. I think it's, I, I th- personally, I think sudden death would be more exciting. 
I think, you know, the hockey thing would be much more exciting. Sudden death overtime. Um, but anyway, uh, I enjoyed watching uh, the game yesterday, and I thought England was really good too. I mean, I, I think the last two opponents, um, and I told you that I watched the last five or ten minutes of the game against France on, a, on an airplane on Friday, that, uh, you know, France looked like they were really controlling the, the, the play for much of the time, and I thought England really had the U.S. at times on its heels as well. All right, uh, that's enough about women's soccer. Um, uh, let's bring in Chris Cooley, who I would have preferred had been in on that conversation, but I'm going to assume that you didn't watch any of the World Cup. In fact, I would assume being out in Wyoming, as you've done in the past few years, you don't really watch anything, and you probably don't know about anything sports-related that's been going on since you got out there. True? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure Mindy Thompson's scoring some goals. I don't even know if that's a player. <laughs> is she's terrific? Is she terrific? She's, she's, well, I, I so, her spacing is terrific, but her breakaway speed's awesome. So, no, yeah. she's not a. I, I don't know. I just that's, I think she's always had issues with endurance. Part of that's the knee injuries from the past. But you know, I I, I love the competitiveness, the fight, um, yeah. the, res, the resilience. I mean. It's what the World Cup's all about. No, in all seriousness, so I had not watched any of it. I barely even knew it was going on. Um, I told Tommy this story last week, and people got upset. But um, I two weeks ago, I guess it was, I was getting my car washed on a Saturday morning at a car wash, and there was a coffee shop right around the corner. So I walked to the coffee shop while the car was getting um, uh, washed, and I walked in, and there were these two dudes, probably in their early 40s, sitting down with coffee and a laptop open watching Women's World Cup in the coffee shop. It wasn't even the U.S. team. It was like, I don't know, China against, you know, uh, uh, Italy. I don't even know what the match was. But I just thought that that was major poser. Like, that. there's no chance that they were actually super into it. If I had asked them to name more than one or two players uh, in that particular game, they wouldn't have been able to do it. But anyway... um. We took some heat for, for talking about that because Tommy always calls soccer the sport that non-sports fans like. Um, and and I, I tend to agree with him uh, to a certain degree. Well, but it's, the sport that, it's the sport that non-American sports fans like. The, it's, a, it's the most popular sport, right? Yeah. And no, no, soccer. Right. I, I, he's talking about Americans. Yeah, he's saying if right. you're if you're really into soccer and you're you, you're a U.S. citizen and you live in the United States, you're probably not a big sports fan. It just seems right. like it's the hipster all, thing to do. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. But anyway, I have to, to make a long story short. I do enjoy the men's World Cup, and we've talked about that in the past. And I watched some of the women's game yesterday, and it was very exciting. Uh, at least the end of it. Anyway, um. How's Wyoming? Terrific. It's actually really it's cold here today. It's 44 degrees when I woke up. If you can believe that. It is so – it's oppressive here this week. I know. It's awful there. Um, it's going to be high of 62 today, oh partly cloudy. God, how, about how, that? how nice. So what have you I been? Know, what have amazing. you? What have you been doing out there? Have you been fishing a lot, or just working well, on your house? Well, we haven't been fishing a lot. I'll keep it short, but you know, the water in all the rivers is really, really high. There's there's been a ton of snow in the last year, and so the runoff is, is pretty high. So we, we've almost finished doing everything with the house. It's been really cool. I I made a vanity top out of this big slab of wood. I've been tiling. I've been doing a bunch of stuff. So 
shock myself a couple times changing switching lights and stuff oh my so god seriously <laughs> like literally Cut, border- cutting outlets out of granite what do you do what, like, why do you f around with electricity when you say you shocked yourself was it like a, a solid oh, I jolt just change it. no have you never touched a yeah like a light switch yeah with a wet hand i've done that once and it was you know that and you pull it Your off real quick wet. i'm sorry your hand doesn't need to be wet it'll shock you with a dry hand well, but no, so if, if, oh, here's my example of why I get shocked. I'm just changing light switches. Like they're old school light switches, and I want to put in new fashionable light switches. So I'm I have two light switches in the same little box next to each other, and I turn off the breaker and then I check it, and the one's dead. But they're on different circuits. Whoever wired it. So I I turned off one on the breaker box, and I figured it was both of them. It wasn't. So it's not a big shock. You just little jolt, little little jolt, Kev. I know, but this is this always fascinates me about you. I know you're you're definitely a fixer upper guy. You're a handy guy. You're a do it yourselfer. But you certainly have the means when it comes to things that perhaps are higher risk. Like, you know, something electricity, like, you know, wiring a home, putting electricity in, making sure that you understand which circuit breaker or which circuit box is on and which isn't. Why you wouldn't just hire an electrician to do it, that part of it? Yeah, I know. It's it's not that hard, but what I'm talking about isn't that hard. It, it, it's not a, it's not a matter required. of it. It's not a matter of whether or not it's hard. It's it's that if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you put yourself at risk. It's a minor risk. I'm not, touching a light switch outlet. Is it a, not like I'm? You you couldn't get electrocuted yeah. doing what you're doing. No. Why not? You touch it; it shocks you a little bit. You're done. It's not like you get stuck on it. Why? 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 Don't pull why a light that? switch out of your wall and touch, no, touch I, the I, red wire. I would never do You'll that. You'll know, and then then I know you wouldn't do that. But go pull the light switch out of the wall and touch the hot wire on the little screw you'll see that it's not going to electrocute you. It is just going to give you a jolt. And then you'll know that I'm safe. What could electrocute you? Good. What could electrocute you working on electricity in the house? I'm actually curious about this. I, I, I don't know I'm anything about it. I'm curious about that as well. Nope, I can't answer that question. Oh, well, there you go. That's why you shouldn't be doing it. You can't answer that question. Well, I can tell you that changing light switches and power outlets is not electrocuting me because I have taken the shock a couple times. Right, and it would cost a couple hundred bucks to have an electrician out to do what you did. That's my sure. that's my only point. You you, you can it's afford that. Not that hard. What I'm saying is, it's it to anybody that's changed light switches and little power outlets. They're agreeing with me that it it takes three minutes. It's not that hard. It's just when one's on a different circuit. It surprised me that I guess I I should have tested them both. No, I'm sure there are a lot of people that do this that are saying Sheehan doesn't know what he's talking about. It's easy stuff. It's not that risky. And then there are a lot of people out there that are listening to this that, that are saying, why wouldn't he just pay a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks to an electrician and take all the risk out of it? He doesn't know what the hell he's just, doing. Just keep in mind, he's like, I'm hurt not himself. running the wires. Or, I'm not running the wires. I'm not taking okay. the Well, I think you've done that before. Out. I think you've done that before. You've run some wires before in your own home, if I if I remember correctly. Mm. I've run a wire before, but I'm not good at it. And you are right. Anything more than changing the light switch, I should hire someone because 
it's going to take me quadruple the amount of time to just figure it out. What uh, just on this subject? Because I, I, you you mentioned something your your hand doesn't have to be wet, and, but you were talking about a specific hot wire. I'm talking about a light switch in a house. I've never. I, I was always told you do not want to flick a light on or off with a wet hand. Is that is that myth or not? If you have a plastic cover on it, your wet hand is not going to. It's not going to shock you. You're sure? You're, you're sure about that? Because I think many years ago, I, I have, you know, I have I'll been. Go, sh- you know what? No, don't do it. I'll go. Ca- I'll go. Ca- I'll go make a video for you. I'll go soak my hand and flick lights on it. I would actually rather you you not do that. Um, what else have you been doing? Have you d- any any stories? Any? I mean, have you played golf at all out there? Not one. No, I haven't. I haven't played golf. Mm. I we literally were finishing everything up. So, I mean. The house. So here's why I don't just hire someone for all of it. The house is a vacation home. It flooded two years ago, and I've put all the tile and all the wood floored. And I had an insurance claim for like eighty grand. I I spent it all on nicer things, like a more expensive floor, more expensive tile. So I could spend another fifty grand hiring everything out. I just don't want to do that. You know, so, I understand and that. I like and I enjoy it. No, I know you enjoy it, and I understand that. I'm just talking about the stuff that you know the perception would be you leave it up to the experts because it could be dangerous when handled by a non-expert which is you that's all yeah well it's here's the thing i could do that or i could become an expert or i could become (laughs) adept enough at doing a lot of these things which i have i'll send you some pictures i've done a good job i'm not really interested in the pictures um but so i actually have a story for you that i think you'll find um interesting that i have not told on the first two days of this podcast and i don't even know why i haven't told it i just sort of forgot about it but i was away in the first two days of this week of this week (laughs) Uh, that's what I meant. Uh, uh, since I got back, because I was on I was on vacation last week. I, I went down to South Carolina with um, with Kara and then her two brothers and her two brothers' um, wives. It was the in laws, you know, me me and my two brother in laws and two sister in laws and Kara. We went down to Kiowa in South Carolina and we were in Charleston for a little bit. I love that uh, part of the the country. It was hot. We knew it would be hot, but this was sort of the time that we could all do it. Everybody's schedules um, synced up, but. The last morning we were there, which was Friday morning, um, the resort that we were staying at, we were all down at breakfast, and we heard this commotion from the other side of like this dining room, and people were panicked, and it was a big table, and then one of the w- women said, she's choking, she's choking, and it was her, I guess it was her mother. She was an older woman and she was, you know, she was choking to death right there at the table. I mean, it was quite traumatic. Um, my brother-in-law went over there and she was on the ground and there were, you know, five or six people around and they were trying to help this woman as she was on the ground. And my brother-in-law said, you've got to stand her up. You got to stand her up. Do you guys know how to do the Heimlich? And everybody, everybody said no. My brother-in-law stood her up and performed the Heimlich maneuver and saved her life right there at breakfast. That's amazing. It was amazing. See, I, you would have just called. You would have called an expert and waited. <laughs> well, what was interesting is when he got back, and it was one of those situations where, you know, at that point, no one really wanted to eat breakfast anymore. Um, but. I I did not know how to do the Heimlich maneuver. Do you know how to do it? 
I got a pretty good concept of it. I have. Uh, I think you get behind them, you you go right around the top part of the rib cage. Yeah. Well, the the the, the, the guy that was trying to do it to her while she was on the ground, starting to turn blue. By the way, um, what was he? performing CPR instead of <laughs> well my brother-in-law just said you're gonna break a rib you got to stand her up I know how to do it if you want me to do it and and my brother-in-law just took took over picked her up and she was a let's just say she was on the larger side um, of of an oh. elderly woman and uh, and he, he 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 did it yeah you you put your hands like in a ball and it's right below the diaphragm I guess and just yeah. you punch and he did it like twice, and she spit up whatever it was she was eating. And, and then did someone tell her that she needed to chew her food? <laughs> well, uh, better. She chew, certainly chew, needed chew. to chew it better. Got to chew that up. But uh, the 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 you know the not, at that point, then the paramedics showed up because somebody had caught you know ninety seconds or two minutes earlier. You know, you sort of lose concept of time when you're watching something like this. Um, they showed up, uh, and they actually, I think they did take, they, I think they looked her over, and then I think somebody said they took her to the hospital. I don't know why at that point they did. Um, but anyway, um, the, the other part of this is, so, I, you know, I walked over in the general direction of where this table was. It was actually at the other end of the dining room, and my wife, I love her to death, she looks at me while this is going on, and I'm telling you, there are like eight, nine people around this woman, her family, and then my brother-in-law was the first to get there to step in. He knew what to do. And my wife just says to me, do something. What are you doing? I turned around and I said, are you kidding me? What, there are nine people around this woman, and Kevin, my, my, my brother-in-law's name is Kevin as well. I said, Kevin's, he's, he knows what he's doing. I, I did, you know, I did have him though at the table sort of give me a demonstration of, of how it works. Cause I did, I really had never known. I, w I, I would have picked somebody up and grabbed them in that area and jolted them with my, my hands and my fists, but I don't know if I would have been doing it right in the right spot. But anyway, it was, it was quite, uh, it was quite dramatic there at breakfast as we were getting ready to head out of, head out of town, back to the airport to, to come home. So, so let me get let me clear this up. He punched her from the front. He didn't go behind. Her. No, no, no. He was behind her. He got behind her, lifted oh, her up. Yeah, okay. Had it, yeah. No, he knew what he 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 yeah, totally knew what he was doing. Was. Yeah. So he saved her life. I mean, I guess. I mean, maybe the paramedics would have gotten there. What are you there and, doing, Kevin? Yeah, what? <laughs> it's a one man job, Kara. It's a one man job. It's so it's a one man job, right? And, and you know what it you is. Want me to hold her, hold her feet. Yeah, it is a one man job. Well, I think you know w one of the challenges initially was just getting her up off the ground because she was, she's a big girl. She's a big girl, uh, a big woman. And um, but my brother in law. Could you have done it? Uh, oh yeah, I I could have done it. I, oh, I could have okay. gotten her off the ground. But they but they had you know they again once my brother in law sort of took charge and said you got to get her up off the ground. You got to stand her up. Then there were three people that were helping him lift her up, and then he got behind her and and jolted her, Heimlich style. Anyway, I love it. Yeah. Um, also, one other quick story before we get to a lot of things that you've missed that I want to get your thoughts on. In the post this morning is a story about a guy who is an ultra marathoner who last weekend ran the Beltway. The 89.9-mile Beltway Loop.
He ran it in 17 hours, 54 minutes, and 59 seconds. He left in McLean and ended up in Carter Rock, which is actually sort of near where I live, in the Bethesda part uh, of, 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 of the Beltway. And he's an ultramarathoner, and he got the idea when he was sitting in traffic on 495 several years ago, and he said, you know what? I could probably get to work faster by running. And so he finally did this. My initial thought as I was reading the beginning of this story was, how did he run on the beltway? Wouldn't that have been dangerous? Well, he did. I mean, does he hit traffic? So, he, well, he didn't. He didn't run completely on the beltway. There were paths along the beltway that took him in on a couple of occasions into neighborhoods that were running side by side with the beltway. But not the entire beltway are there roads right off of the beltway. So some of it, I'm assuming, he was actually on, you know, the you know that the the lane the, the, the like- lane before the retaining wall. If you're on the outer loop, you, on the inner on the inner loop, you the the you know the outside um, side of the road, he was probably running on. But you don't see people jogging on the Beltway. It's not something you would do. No, that's like when you ask me why I do electric. The house, you run the Beltway. That sounds awful. <laughs> I think actually running the Beltway might be more dangerous. But uh, 17 hours, 54 minutes, and 59 seconds of running. And he did it on a day last weekend where it was 96 degrees and humid. Oh, as wow. Well. Yeah. Um, all right. You've missed some things here uh, over the last couple of weeks, not paying attention to, um, to much um, that, were, that are Redskins related. You want me to go through them? First of all, I think the last yeah, time we talked was. Away. Well, I think the last time we talked was shortly after the Trent Williams thing, right? And I think you yeah, essentially right. said you don't know anything. But you would bet more likely than not that come the beginning of training camp, he'll probably be there. Um, Isn't that what you told me? I would – well, I felt like there's nothing that they really have an obligation to do, the Redskins, and if he wants to continue to make his money, then what's he going to do? I just yeah, – I didn't like any of the optics of it for, for either party. Well, do you, and I didn't think that they were going to get what they wanted out of a trade. So, what happened? Uh, there's nothing. There's no update on that story. None, none whatsoever. So I guess we'll know when we get to training camp or shortly before if he's going to post or not. They certainly need him. Yeah. I, they, they have to have him. They don't have a left tackle without him. Well, I mean, you got guys sitting out there. It's no one's really acquiring anybody right now before you get into camp. You just, I can't imagine if they didn't believe – if they believed that it was it was dire that he wasn't coming back, you, you'd think they'd go out and sign someone. Yeah, you, you would think that they'd do that. They have not signed the guy that you suggested that they sign, um, which is the guy you played with it, at Utah State. Donald Penn. Yeah, Donald Penn. He's probably the best available free agent tackle. Yeah, and he's not for a one year deal. He's not out there right now. Um, so uh, there, a couple of things have happened. First of all, Rob Ryan says the Redskins have a top five defense, or that he's come into a team with a top five defense. Do you believe him? Yeah, we talked about that. We did. That, that, we have. All right, then I'll. That. Then I'll. I, I here, here, here's my quick comment. If you're not a top five defense this year, then you're not doing a very good job coaching them up, are you? 
Like that's I hate that. I hate the we're great statements. Yeah. Of nice course. Coaches. Of course. All right. Then there was And the, I, I don't even think you should tell your players that. I, I don't either. In private. Well, well there this is We've had another off season of the new people coming in and telling everybody how great they're going to be and the team's going to be. Landon Collins has been, you know, the biggest defender of that. He has multiple times predicted multiple Super Bowls, and he seems completely transfixed on his former team and, you know, doing damage to his former team. That's great. That's two games a year against a bad team. You got 14 other games. And he's very, very into, you know, talking about the former team and why it didn't work out for him and the big mistake they made in not drafting Dwayne Haskins and drafting Daniel Jones instead. And then you had, you know, the Rob Ryan stuff. It's always, it's like the new people come in and for whatever reason, the place initially must be, it must be attractive compared to other places in terms of first impressions is the only thing I can think of. Now, the money for Landon Collins is great, and the fact that Rob Ryan's employed probably makes him very happy as well because he wasn't employed last year. But it it's, it's typically fades away after a year or two. I, I don't understand it. I like the Joe Gibbs theory of let's go and find out. I was a culprit, though, believing that we were going to be great in, in multiple years. I've been a culprit since I've been done playing because you want to have the belief that you're going to be great. I I think that's terrific that you do believe in your team. And that's what makes the NFL so exciting is every, every year there's a couple teams that were not good or hadn't been good that all of a sudden break out. And that's a lot of fun, but I just think that there's no need to say anything. The one thing though, with the players and coaches is it's essentially forgotten. If you say we're going to be terrific and then you're not, they good for them. They believe in their team. That's I, I I like that. I get it, but I just don't think it has to be said. No, I think there are two separate things. I mean, you of course want them to believe that they're great and they're going to succeed. You just don't want them to tell everybody about it um, before they've done it. Uh, all right. Then there was this um, from last week, and it happened while I was away, and and I, I I talked about it on Monday, and then a little bit more yesterday with Tommy, and that was Doug Williams interview with Steve Weich from the NFL Network. Um, You've probably not read about this, but Doug Williams interviews, had an interview with Steve Weich from the NFL Network, and he said about Dwayne Haskins, he said, I know there are words out there that Haskins might end up starting, and that could happen. But at the end of the day, that's going to be on Jay, myself, probably Bruce, and the owner, and what he does during preseason and to see where we are as a team to make that decision, essentially implying that this would be a consensus organizational decision versus just a coach's decision on when Haskins plays. <laughs> and that's what everyone believes, isn't it? Well, yeah, I'm not saying that this is like yeah, I know somehow it, a revelation. I know it, it should be. No, what, what should it, it, how should it work? That that? How should it work with a quarterback that was drafted in the first round um, by an organization? How should it work ultimately? How, how should it work? Yes. Yeah, how, how, I'll tell you in my, my world how I would want it to work is the coach would decide when he's ready to play. The coach is the one watching the film of practice, of what he has going on. The coach is the one installing the plays. 
The coach is the one calling the plays into his headset, listening to what he's calling back to the players. The, the, the coach was a quarterback. The coach has been around for a long time. You'd think the coach would decide, and that would be it. That's what I would. That's what I would want. That's what, in my world, I would like the coach working closer in terms of acquiring all the personnel. Right. You've always said that, that you think the coach should be much more intimately involved in, in evaluating and acquiring players. Right. And Jay's been I, I more did, involved recently, right? DM, I, I don't know how involved he's been with acquiring players. How do you... I mean, he evaluates all the players. He's got evaluations on all the players, but essentially what Doug said is is what I think goes into every player. Is There's essentially a, a four-man team that puts together a decision on what players acquired, unless when we, this has happened, unless Bruce decides he wants a player. Or Dan. How do you think it's going to play out? How will the decision on Haskins and when he plays – how will that play out within the walls of Ashburn? A lot will depend on his ability to operate in timing and tempo of getting the play into the huddle and getting the offense set and getting guys in the right spot through the month of August and how much they believe that he can do that and then Beyond that, I, I think I've said this a few times, is how well can he protect himself? Can he see some of the pressures coming, and can he make the line slides and changes? And also, that has to do with the tempo and timing of the offense, Kev. Like, like if you can't get the play calls immediately, then you're late to the line of scrimmage, then it's hard to get some of the checks made that you want at the line, and then it's hard to protect yourself. So they don't want to put him in. No one wants to put a young quarterback back in the pocket where he's not protected and it's his job to, to do that. Now, obviously, the line has some part of that, and the backs and tight ends have a part of it, but he's got to be decisive and precise with his calls and checks from the play call in the huddle to the time the ball snapped. And as soon as he's ready to do that, he'll start. Okay, so let's say... So it, it will be on him, and so then the process will go back to whoever it goes to, Bruce, Dan, Doug, whatever Doug says, but Jay's going to be the first one to have to relay that. Right. So I, I just think, I think if he's if not ready halfway through the season or if Jay doesn't believe it at some point, five, six games in, then Jay will be omitted in that process and he will be asked to start. And then they will tell Jay, look, you got Josh Johnson ready to play in a week. Get the guy ready to play. Put him out there. I think you, I think he's got a grace period of a few games. Uh, so, so this is this is the key piece here. So Jay, you know, gets through training camp, gets through these preseason games. He's able to convince Dan and Bruce, or he's trying to convince Dan and Bruce. Hey, the the nine for ten in the third and fourth quarter against guys who aren't going to be in the league. Dwayne did a really nice job. They didn't pressure. There was, it was basic stuff. Um, but I, I'm watching here in practice every day. I don't want you to get too excited about those results against the Browns in the preseason. I know where he is right now and his readiness, and I don't think he's ready to start an NFL game. Do you think Bruce and Dan, Dan in particular, will take that and 
and and give Jay the ability to 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 make the final decision. I think it will be impactful because I don't think Jay has a prerogative either way to start anybody at this point. I think he does have a, a competition theory with the three guys that are there right now, and I, I think that he probably it wants Dwayne to make progress under his tutelage this year or his coaching. And I think that benefits Jay. So I think Jay would, would probably prefer that Dwayne blow everyone away in camp and he started. I think that's the best scenario for everybody. So I, I think Jay will be fully honest and it will be full disclosure. I don't think he, he has an angle to start Colter Jay's. Right, but what I'm saying is, if he has an if he has a definitive opinion a month from now or six weeks from now, midway through camp, um, and that opinion is he's not ready, will Dan listen and be okay with it? Yeah, yeah, yes, I believe yes. Okay, um, there were also since we've we've last talked, there were there was a piece that Kime did. Um, on ESPN.com, and it was an interview with Gruden and with Haskins, and there were a lot of interesting quotes in there. Um, you know, first of all, you know, Gruden saying, you know, the guy physically is so impressive, and what he's put out there on tape, you know, it, he deserves a shot to compete for the starting job. Um, and then he, you know, he makes comments like, and I'm going to read this one. He said he. He stands tall. He has a cannon. He can quicken up his release. He's got great touch. He's got a strong, powerful arm, strong, powerful body. But sometimes when he's off, he's abnormally off. It's kind of weird. Um, so, you know, there's that sort of both sides on on Haskins from Gruden, the real positive, and then talking about some of the other stuff. And then Haskins had a couple of really interesting um, quotes where he essentially said, and I'm looking for exactly, um, he, he said, once I learn the playbook, I know what I'm doing. I can call out the reads and point out site adjustments and move protections. Everything else will go from there. So I feel one full year of learning would do me justice. I'm not worrying about starting week one. I just want to be ready to play week one, whether that's this year or or next year. Whenever the time comes for me to play, I want to make sure that when I do play, I don't want to look back, closed quote. Like I, I said to Tommy, because I know you and I have not had a conversation about this, that that's, you know, there's some self-awareness there with him to, to sort of approach it that way um, and to understand that he doesn't want to be put out there until he really knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that that's wise of him. Yeah, I, I don't think that he'll have to look back much. You know, if he if he's starting as a first round pick, he's going to have a few years to figure it out. He could be. You say that, but then you look at Josh Rosen last year, and he's traded. He'll still have opportunities this year, I guess. Yeah, you you don't want to flop, but at the same time, first round quarterbacks get get a lot of opportunities, so. It is it is smart of him. I think it's humble of him. I think that's the approach he has to continue to take. And and he is right, Kev. It it takes some time to learn the playbook. It I learned four of them. I never felt comfortable until going into that second year with truly being able to to 
not just understand the playbook, but understand how to be creative with my responsibilities and how to see the defensive side of the ball to our playbook. It, it took a year for me. Now, I, I probably could have speeded up the process if, if it had to happen and I would have studied day in and day out. But a lot of it is just is not just study. It's seeing it in real time and it's seeing it in real action. And so for him saying it's a year, you know, once you get into the season, if he's not playing, he's not seeing it. So it's, it's like you, you want him to have some opportunity throughout the year to play as well. What did you make of the Gruden comment about being very positive about, you know, some of the physical, you know, the, the, the physical presence, which is obvious, um, but then also saying that, you know, sometimes he's abnormally off. It's, it, it, to me, when I heard that, I sort of nodded my head, and it's the, it's the conversation that you and I had about some of the games that we watched him in where they were playing much better defensive teams and they pressured him and he missed badly on throws. I think it's Jay being Jay. I think it's just him being completely honest. And and it, I, it's hard because that position demands, you know, I don't want to say full attention, but it demands you to be a, a little bit more in the zone at all times. And so if he's off learning a new offense, or if you had an install day where he didn't, something didn't seem right or didn't fit in his mind it it would make him abnormally off it would be there would be i don't think that's a derogatory statement no i'm not saying that it was but uh, but it's the same thing that you saw when you watched every single one of his games from last year twice and it's the same thing i remembered having watched him a lot uh you know, against teams like Michigan State and in the second half against Washington, good defensive teams, where when he got pressured, you know, his footwork was off and the ball sailed. And a lot of times he didn't get picked, but a lot of times he just missed badly. That's 100% right. And I think a lot of it has to do with his movement in the pocket and and also his ability to see him pick up blitzes. You never know what another team's doing. It's hard to say what Ohio State was doing in terms of some blitz stuff. You know, he always looked decisive at the line, but I, I noted more than 50 times where he's decisive making a call and pointing out someone at the line, but then misses the blitz. He sees that there's something, but he slides them the wrong way. So, but that's a young player. I mean, that's a guy in his first year not having seen a lot of these looks. And so it takes some time to, to learn those things and to see those things. There's, there's no doubt about it, but it did make him off. You know, he, he got high. He got off balance. He ran up in the pocket. Like he's not a guy that's going to just run to run, but he ran up in the pocket instead of sliding up in the pocket, which took him, you know, out of good position to throw the ball. Um, but another, he can improve all of that. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's not something that scares me per se, but it, it it's it's something that has to be fixed. So here we are, you know, basically a month before camp starts, a little less than a month now before camp starts. What's your guess today? When does he start his first game? Week five or week six. But I, is what is, would be my bet. I put the over-under on five. Right. Week six would be the Dolphins game after they, you know. But I would not be surprised if he were to start week one. I, I wouldn't. If it, if Jay's serious about an open competition and Dwayne gets that playbook or 
what you know what he however he says it, it's more than just a playbook but if Dwayne's comfortable getting everything together I I, I just don't see myself being incredibly surprised what uh, I also think that you you you're you really have a good opportunity with a young player to to hold him back a little bit but then we're if we're doing that you're sitting here saying they're holding him back cuz they they don't want to get run in the first four games with him as the quarterback you're like, are you counting on losing two or three or four of the first five games so you can put them in? Right, because if they started off three and two and Case Keenum and or you know, Colt McCoy are playing great, makes it harder to get him in there. But they, sh- they shouldn't. They have a top five defense, so they should be okay. Um, on Colt McCoy, real quickly, uh, <laughs> it, it would appear – yeah, exactly. It, it would appear that – According to reports that he will be ready for the beginning of camp and will be re- healthy for the beginning of camp. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't think you and I have talked about this, but you've got two guys in Keenum and Haskins. One guy's a rookie, one guy's a veteran, but it's it's a new offense, you know, a totally new offense to both of them. Shouldn't Colt McCoy have a significant advantage if it's an open competition? to be the starter just because he's totally comfortable in Jay Gruden's offense? I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I would start Colt McCoy. Yeah, and I think he should have a, a significant advantage. If it is truly a competition, I can't imagine that Case will beat Colt in that competition just because of the unfair advantage that Colt does have in terms of knowing everything. It's also another – like, I, I was thinking about this the other day, is there's another interesting angle to, to starting Colt. Colt – this is not a nice – it's not – it's just honest, I guess. Colt gets hurt a lot. So if you were to start Colt and he were to get hurt in week four, then you just put Dwayne in. <laughs> so that's the plan. Let's start Colt so, knowing that he'll get injured, think, and then we can put Haskins in because we didn't have a choice but to put him in because the starter got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, the thing is is that you think Case Keenum is a better quarterback than Colt McCoy. I think that they are very comparable to each other. Okay. I think they're. I think Case has probably got a little bit stronger arm. I think Colt's probably going to get you into some more smarter situations. I, I, I think Colt will. I'd be surprised if Colt, if it were a fifty-fifty competition, if Colt didn't win the job. I, I, I think I'd be comfortable with Colt starting the season for me. So I thought when they signed Case, it, it gave him a great insurance to for Colt. You know, if you have to, if Colt gets hurt, then Case is a guy that can come in, and that may be the case as well. You know, the other thing to consider with all of these guys, there's only so many reps to go around in training camp. Right. And so it'll be interesting how they cycle them through with the with the ones and with the first group. And also the receivers, how they're cycled through. But in Jay's offense, you got guys like Jordan and Trey and Chris Thompson that are going to be running a ton of choice and option type routes. And you need to be, if you're the starter, you need to be in there working with them. Jay's so how do that. you manage? How do you manage all three quarterbacks? Like I, to me, I think that you got to make the decision after the after the first couple weeks. Now Colt would be okay with a lot of these guys, but at the same time, remember last year when they started 
Colt, it was like Colt's going to throw a lot of back shoulder balls, and Colt's going to throw a lot of timing balls. It's going to be out quicker. And I don't think the receivers anticipated it quite the same. Like, they have to get to know their quarterback as well. Like, you need to know if the ball is going to be out a, a, a half a second quicker. Like, when your internal clock needs to set off to make adjustments to start looking for the ball, and, and Colt will be quicker than Case, and Colt will, Colt will definitely be quicker than Dwayne with a lot of that stuff. So for the re- it's not just the quarterback getting sense of the receivers; it's the receivers having to feel for the quarterback as well. So I, I think it's it's really going to be uh, almost delicate how you how you decide and when you decide. I don't think it plays out until the last week of the season. Here may be a stupid question, but I'll ask it anyway because over the years, you and coaches, and we've heard this many times about the number of reps that are available and, you know, you just won't have the ability to get, you know, Dwayne Haskins the reps if if you're trying to get Case or Colt ready. And why, why can't you just stay longer and give them the reps? I, I, why, why is there a limit to the number of reps you can take? It's like... The high school practice out there, get them out in the field for about three and a half hours and run them down. I mean, so we're talking about some of these the choice and option route stuff. You, you could go and they could stay one-on-one and do it all they want it's until you have it with a full defense and in a Why in a can't you do it with setting. a full defense and a full offense? Why can't you just add? You just can't run a million. I mean, you just can't It's run not a million. million. I've, heard, I've heard, you know, I've sat there and watched it in camp where they do, you know, it's like 20 reps, like 20 plays they'll run. Then they're... On to the next thing. Why not run 35 instead or 30? An extra 10 so that Dwayne can get an extra 10. I think you could run a few more, but there's just... I th- Actually, I think there's a certain number of uh, amount of time that you can be out on the field in training camp now. Well, that's what that's I was wondering. Hard. I was wondering if you would answer it that way. Is there a CBA thing that limits the amount of time that you can be on the field? The amount of reps well, you can take? Well, there's a CBA thing that, that limits... The number of practices. practices yeah. <laughs> we can only have one practice today. Boys, we're going to be out there for about seven hours. <laughs> Let's go. But I'm not talking about the difference between an hour and a half and seven hours. I'm talking about the difference between an hour and a half and maybe an hour and 50 minutes. It's, I, I, I hear it all the time. There just aren't enough reps to go around. And I I just I, I, I don't think I've ever asked you before, well, why don't they make sure that there are enough reps to go around? I mean, if Dwayne... Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's a great question. I, I can tell you, you know, there's, I can sit here and say the same thing. I, if I would have saw a play script of an extra 40 plays in a training camp practice, I would have been one unhappy camper. <laughs> well, okay, but it's it may be the better thing for the team. It may be. It may it, it may be, and a mutiny is definitely not a better thing for the team. So you got to well, manage I mean, that as well. That's where you need. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's stuff. You need guys to spend extra time. Like you, you just do. You, that's what makes players great. Like go back to the Jerry Rice model, and the Jerry was the first one out there, and Jerry ran more routes and practice longer. I mean, it, like, yeah, it's great. Jerry also had Joe Montana and Steve Young. Yeah, that, that helps. Um, Kime wrote another story yesterday, I think it was, maybe two days ago. No, it was yesterday, about Josh Doxson entering this final season. They didn't pick up his option. And there are a couple of quotes that that people sent me from the story. So I went and read it, and 
And he, one of the quotes from Doxon is, I think, I think I'm hitting free agency next year. It won't be the first, won't be the last. It's nothing to be sad about, be mad about. Someone wants you there, so it's all love. Um, and, you know, they asked him um, if he's using this, you know, non-option thing as motivation. He said, no, because that would mean it would have gotten to me and I'd feel some type of way. There's no motivation. I'm not trying to prove nothing to nobody. Just trying to get chemistry with the quarterbacks. Sure. I, I mean, I look at a free agent year as being more motivation than a non-option year. There's a lot of money to be made if you have a big year in a free agent year. So I think that you, if you, unless you don't, and, and maybe he has no concern about money or the future. Maybe it's, he just loves playing, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of human nature to want to make more money doing the thing that you're doing and do better doing the thing that you're doing. So I wouldn't look at the option as, as something negative if I were him, but I would want to have the best possible year so I could make the most possible money. You know, it's like what you always said and always do say, and that is, man, when you're drafting these players, you gotta you gotta know a lot more than what the tape tells you. You gotta really understand. The first couple rounds, you do. You can't miss the first couple rounds. You got start, They're starters, and they should be high level NFL players for your team. And if you miss in rounds one and two, they're not. But you're done. You're in big trouble. Those are that's your the building blocks of your team. So yes, you should know everything about them. You got to know if they love it. And I think, you know, at this point, and I'm rooting for him, you know I am. Um because I wanted them to draft him. Uh but I hope somehow he learn he he gets some hunger and you know plays with an urgency and a desperation and a love because that 2016 draft that started with Doxon Cravens um this team whether it was McLuhan or somebody, they didn't know enough about the individuals. They didn't do enough due diligence beyond the tape. Yeah, and it's, again, going back to where he's at right now with the enthusiasm. Or with what, If you want the ball, you have to show them that you deserve and want the ball. Like I think we said this all the time, and I was probably one of the best in the, in my career at this which was false false enthusiasm go fake it go hoot and holler and goof around a little bit and yell yell a couple times and act mad or act excited but act like you want to be there there's false enthusiasm today be a little bit of an actor but you got to give the coaches what they want if you want the ball if you want to play yeah you know show I, i've said this all the time i i my first couple years I knew when the coaches were in their meeting room, so I'd go out and run on the field on a Saturday morning. <laughs> right, over there. That, it wasn't that like is... I was really running hard, but go out there and show. Well, yeah, and people. You, I guarantee you. I guarantee you, all those coaches' offices have windows out to the field, and you see Josh Doxon out there on a Saturday morning with nobody at the park, running routes, running sprints. They everyone's gonna look at him. Who is that? Oh man, Josh is out there running. Man, he must want it. It gets so gullible to that type of stuff. It's you, you be what they want to be for a small amount of time. You are the ultimate Eddie Haskell. I mean, you just you you showed up and you went out with the big windows so everybody could see you by yourself. You know, just kind of jogging and running around. And there they are. Oh, look, Cooley's out there, man. God, he is 
he is always working extra. He wants this badly. You f- yeah, you think I'm going to run if no one's watching me run? <laughs> no. Um. All right, what are you doing for the fourth? Is the fourth a big deal in Wyoming? Is there some sort of Cody Wyoming parade? Oh, there's a massive Cody Stampede parade. We are going up to uh, do a fishing today through Cody. And then we got a bunch of lawn chairs. You got to put them out the night before so you get your seat. We got to drop our lawn chairs off the night before in Cody so we can go over there. You got to get the kids in the spot to get the candy and see the parade. So we're gonna do that. We went to the rodeo a couple nights ago, which was which was fun. My my, but I've been the bull for the last couple of days, bucking my kids around the living room. I'm getting tired of being the bull. <laughs> yeah. What what was that? You, the hundredth annual Cody Stampede. I don't know what year it is in the Cody Stampede. Well, the the rodeo, they you know the Cody, Cody has the Cody Night Rodeo every night of the uh, summer. What the what? one we went to was the ESPN Extreme Bulls Rodeo, where all the top bull riders and bulls are brought in. So it it was like the bull circuit that stops in Cody. It was a big deal. How many Sold people? Out. How many people live in Cody, Wyoming? Is Cody in Yellowstone? Oh, you have to look it up. But I think. It, no, it is not in Yellowstone. Is it near? It is about 50 is, miles. Yeah, it's about 50 miles from the east entrance of okay. Yellowstone Park. Got it. So it's, I don't know, seven, 8,000 people live in Cody. That's the Cody's population? Seven or 8,000? You, you look it up. Powell's six. Cody, Cody might be nine or ten. Hold on. Here it is. Cody, Wyoming population, 9,885 as of 2017. So just under 10,000. There you go. Beautiful part of the world. It All right. Beautiful part. Uh, thanks for getting up and doing this. I'll talk to you later. Happy Fourth. Yeah, buddy. See ya. Be free. All right. Good to catch up with Cooley uh, out in Wyoming. Um, this was the time of year, Aaron, where you know he would leave Memorial Day and not come back until the first day of training camp. So basically, he took all of June and July off, and it was fun doing a four-hour morning show by yourself. I can imagine without him, it was a lot in the summer. It's it's a lot of fun. You know, uh, Galdi's doing mornings, right? He's doing four hours yep. every morning on 980. Uh, and this is the time of year in June and July where you'd ra- much prefer to have a partner. Just a little um, bit. Than, than be alone. Quick word about Window Nation. Uh, I really want you to consider them if you're considering new windows. Give them a shot. I've used Window Nation twice over the last 10 years. It worked out for me, and it's worked out for many of our listeners over the years. Uh, Window Nation does it right. They've got first-rate people in the company. Harley and Aaron, who started this company, have built it into a top-five window company in the nation. Um, But this is one of their key areas, the Washington-Baltimore areas where they do a lot of their business and they have a lot of their people and they've got you know people who've been on staff for 20 plus years their average installer has over 16 years of experience the person that they're going to send out to your home to give you a quote you know has at least a decade's worth of experience they've installed just in the last year alone 150,000 windows 99 and a half percent of them have required no follow-up service. They do it right. They've got over 10,000 online positive reviews. That's incredible in retail. They give out lifetime warranties 
as well. It's always worked for me. I want you to give them a shot. If you've been thinking about new windows, they will come out to your home and give you a free in-home estimate, and they'll do it when it's convenient for you. So if you can only do it on the weekends, they'll schedule it for the weekends. If you want them out tomorrow, they'll come out tomorrow. Um, It's that easy. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and take advantage of the deal that they've got going on right now, which is buy one window, get one free with no limits. So you can buy 20 and get 20 free. Plus, right now, you don't have to put down anything, all right? So no down payment, no interest, and no payments, period, for one full year. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Uh, wanted to, to finish up with a couple of things. Um, the Wizards. Jeff Green left yesterday for Utah. All right, so that's Jeff Green gone. Uh, Trevor Reza went to Sacramento. Um, they traded Kelly Oubre for Ariza. They didn't get anything there. They traded Jeff or signed Jeff Green. Could have traded him at the trade deadline. Didn't get anything there. Of course, Otto Porter went to Chicago for Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker in a 2023 second round pick. Um, Portis has already gone to New York, and Jabari Parker rem- remains unsigned. Um, remember, they also traded Austin Rivers um, as part of that deal for Ariza. Um, netting it out, the Wizards over the last, you know, six months have really, you know, effed it up big time. I, I was thrilled that Trevor Ariza was coming back to the Wizards, but even though I was very happy about that, I also said and was adamant that they had to trade him at the trade deadline when it was obvious they weren't going to be a playoff team. They need, they needed to deal Jeff Green and Trevor Ariza and they didn't do it. They didn't do it for whatever reason. They thought they still had a chance to make the postseason, or they thought they had a chance to bring these guys back. Now, you know, this is the previous administration, the Ernie Grunfeld administration, that did all of this. So Tommy Shepard, who is, I guess, the de facto GM right now, you know, it's hard to really pin this on him, but I pin it on Ted. You know, this is his organization. And it was obvious to anybody watching this that you could get something back for Trevor Ariza at the trade deadline. That teams really value Trevor Ariza. I've been telling people that for eight years. Uh, It's why, you know, on a a contending team like Houston, he averaged more minutes than anybody on that roster not named Harden. He is valuable. He's a leader. He's high IQ. They could have gotten a second back for him. They could could have potentially gotten something back for Jeff Green. They basically unloaded Kelly Oubre and Otto Porter and then Jeff Green and Trevor Ariza for a 2023 second round pick. That's what they got from all of the activity of the last six months. Now they still have Jabari Parker as a possibility, Aaron. He's a free agent um, and he has not signed with anybody else. And I actually thought that he played pretty well. I actually would, if I were a contending team and had you know, a, a need or a spot, I'd consider Jabari Parker. He's a tremendous athlete and an explosive offensive player, much more so than I actually realized. And And I talked about it when he came in and was playing with the Wizards last year that I, I was actually really impressed. Now, he's not a great defender, and he's not a great ball handler, but, man, he's a powerful, explosive dude You know, near the rim. Um, I think a good team should take should should try to sign him. But but anyway, 
you know, basically the Wizards netting it out got a 2023 second round pick for all of that. Um, I mean, we may update that if Jabari Parker gets signed and they keep him. But Ubre, who I loved, uh, Ubre, by the way, what is his situation right now? I have not checked that recently. Has he signed with anybody yet? I do not believe so. I I was a Kelly Ubre fan M- more more because um, I loved his competitiveness, loved his competitiveness, and I thought he was a player that really had improved. Um, but he is an unrestricted free agent, right? He has not signed a deal, a long term deal with Phoenix. I, I yeah, he's, think that's he's, true. he's a free agent. Uh, I, is he restricted? I'm not I, sure I sort if he's of forget restricted the status. or unrestricted, but he's a free agent, and they're. There's articles about his market. What is his market? What are people saying about his market? Um, but does this freaking have some Suns fan? It, it it seems like the Suns want him back. They're trying to bring him back, but there are. I think he's kind of in that waiting game where people, you know, we're kind of in the Kawhi waiting game right now. And if someone whiffs, they could try to bring in Ubre. I would I would think somebody would want Ubre. I I really do. I mean, you know, he, he him being in limbo right now in free agency limbo is a surprise to me. It's a, it's a bit of a surprise. Maybe maybe something has to another chip has to fall or another domino has to fall and then he'll end maybe there's a plan for him to go somewhere if you know, I don't know, maybe it's tied to Kawhi Leonard and in Kawhi Leonard's move, who knows. But um, I, I, I'd be surprised if there wasn't interest in, in Kelly Oubre. But anyway, back to the Wizards. Um, it was a disaster of, of a pre-trade deadline through now um, situation. And as I said the other day, they're barely an NBA franchise right, right now in terms of relevance. Um, they aren't relevant at all. Uh, and they've got a roster next year that, you know, who knows? I mean, there are a couple of players that I like on their roster you know, I, I've, I've mentioned that I, I do like Mo Wagner. I think he's interesting, and I'm going to be interested to watch him play. Um, and, you know, but the, and as far as Isaiah Thomas goes, I have no expectations of him having the kind of year that he had in Boston a few years ago. I don't have that uh, kind of expectation for him. You know, I'm interested in watching Rui Hachimura. As I said, you know, I was not a fan of the Wizards drafting him there. I don't think he should have been drafted that high personally. But I wasn't, you know, somebody sent me a, a comment that I had made about Hachimura, and I was basically lumping him into a bunch of players that I didn't want the Wizards to take at number nine. It didn't mean that I didn't think he was a good college player and had potential in the pros. There were just a lot of players that I liked more. That's all. I liked a lot of players uh, at, at, at a much higher level. But Man, you know, Troy Brown Jr., you know, Thomas Bryant, and, and you know, maybe maybe this will be Jan Mahinmi's year. Maybe this will be Mahinmi's year. But you're, you're going to have Bradley Beal, and I'm just trying to think of their starting lineup next year. It's Bradley Beal. It is, uh, I'm assuming that also starting on this team is going to be either Isaiah Thomas or Ish Smith. I mean, who's going to play point guard? I would think it's Isaiah Thomas. Is it is an it's an Isaiah Thomas Bradley Beal backcourt potentially with you know Thomas Bryant starting at center, and then you get into who are your small forwards? Troy Brown Jr., maybe Jabari Parker, um, your second round pick Admiral Schofield. I'm just trying to think of the players they have. Hachimura, maybe maybe he starts as a rookie. Who's your power forward on this team? Who's your true 
big power forward. I think it's Wagner. I think Wagner should be could be their starting power forward. Bad team. I mean, as I'm just going through it, this is a 30-win team next year. It's a 30-win, 12th place in the East, 11th place in the East type of team. I, I would say, you know, netting this out, because nobody cares. If you're, if you're a Wizards fan like I am, you just have to assume that the next two years are non-playoff years. You just have to assume that, which would mean a run of three playoff misses in a row. One last thing that I, I, I did want to mention. Actually, the Nats last night. I watched that last inning and a half. What an at-bat for Trey Turner there at the end, Aaron. I mean, that was a 10-pitch, I believe, at-bat. Really hung in there and then drilled one into the gap in right field um, to score Gomes on a 3-2 pitch. You know, that 2-2 pitch that he took was huge because it put Gomes into the position where he could run off the pitch, and that's why that particular hit scored him all the way from first. But, man, this is a good baseball team right now all of a sudden. I mean, they're now two games above five hundred, and the Braves lost last night to the Phillies, so the Nats are sitting there six out. They could be inside five games out at the All-Star break. Not a lot of people saw this coming, and what a run from 12 games below five hundred to two games up. And Trey Turner was huge. I mean, I think there was the the expectation that that would be a really solid at-bat. Anyway, um, the uh, the last thing I wanted to mention real quickly is Bobby Marks, who I've had on this show at least two times. Um, I love his analysis. He's the ESPN NBA guy, really knows front office stuff, contracts, um, all of that. And I had him on during the season, and then I think I had him on right before the draft a few weeks ago. He made a comment yesterday or this morning, but I, I read it. I didn't hear it. He doesn't think that the Warriors are a playoff team out West next year. He thinks the Warriors, because of the Clay Thompson injury and assuming that Clay Thompson you know, doesn't come back until super late in the season at the earliest, that the Warriors will miss the postseason next year. I don't agree with that at all. That team with Steph Curry and Draymond Green on that particular team and D'Angelo Russell now, they're going to be good enough to be, you know, a solid 45-win regular season team minimum. I would be so surprised if the Warriors weren't a playoff team. And part of his argument, and he made a compelling argument, at least what I read, and, and that is just the depth of the West next year. You know, I mean, a lot of people like Denver, a lot of people like Utah. Obviously, the Lakers are the prohibitive favorite to win the title if Kawhi signs there. They're going to be the favorite even if he doesn't. But they're not going to be a prohibitive favorite if he doesn't. Right. Um, people like Portland, Denver, there, Utah, there's Houston. There's reasonable teams you can put in the playoffs. Okay, look, Paul George and Russell Westbrook are still going to yes. be a playoff team. You know, the Spurs are still more likely than not going to be a playoff team. And then you have the Clippers who got super hot at the end of last year and remember won two games in the first round against the Warriors. And so I started thinking about it. And by the way, not even mentioning New Orleans and Memphis, teams that have really added. Dallas could be a potential surprise team. Some people think Phoenix is going to be a lot better, not playoff better, but a lot better. The West, when you look at it, may not have a terrible team. Phoenix was terrible last year, but a lot of young talent on that team. A lot of young talent on the team, including DeAndre Ayton. So 
I still think I would be shocked if the Warriors with Curry and Russell and Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, who signed the other day, not to a big deal. I thought I thought Looney would get more money. I like Looney. Um, they also just signed uh, Colley Stein um, as well. But I would be shocked if the Warriors aren't in the playoffs next year. But anyway, you know, some people in thinking about the NBA, and I know a lot of you, again, I say this all the time, I, I know a lot of you don't care at all. I do. Um, I know a lot of people look at this NBA next year and they're praying, as I am, that Kawhi does not sign with the Lakers so that you can have a wide-open year. I say that, but I will also say simultaneously that the bottom line is that it's better off, the league is better off when it has a dominant, dynastic type of team. It's a much better situation for the league when you have a prohibitive favorite and a dynasty kind of team like Golden State than a wide-open field. I personally think the wide-open field will be fun to watch and will be entertaining to watch, but I think it's better for the league because it attracts the casual fans when you have a super team. All right, uh, we're off tomorrow. Enjoy the 4th. Thanks to Cooley. Thanks to Aaron. Back on Friday.